You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. <laughs> well, I only have so much time to waste, so, uh, <laughs> so you come to me on the day of my daughter's wedding. That's it. That's all you get. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, so let's learn about Jesus. We should... We should pray that Jesus would help us learn about Jesus. Um, so let's do that. Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege that it is to come together to worship you, to hear from your word. And Lord, I just want to begin just by admitting uh, my own weakness as I uh, walk into this pulpit this morning and prepare to preach your word. Lord, I, I am just a human. I'm, I'm just a man full of weakness and sin, and so just confess, Father, I just, I need you, need you to speak. We, we need you to speak to our hearts. What everyone in this room doesn't need is they don't need the word of Joe, they need the word of God. And so, Father, I pray that you would speak to us this morning. Help us to trust that you will act on our behalf. You already have in the cross of Christ. And we just beg you to act and do work inside of our hearts through the preaching of your word. So God, we just ask that you would open our hearts this morning to hear from you, to come to you for refreshment and nourishment. We ask, Father, that you would just come and that the presence of Christ would settle down deeply into the deep recesses and contours and hallways and hidden rooms inside of our hearts and that you would, um, that you would root out sin and lies from Satan, that you would speak your truth into those places of our hearts. So Father, I pray that you would remove any spiritual hindrances that maybe crowd our hearts from your presence just settling there. Help us to rest in you and in your word this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of your word. We thank you that your word tells us that it is sharper than any two-edged sword and that it reveals things deep down inside of us. We thank you that your word is like a mirror and we can look into the reflection of your word and walk away and be changed. Pray that that's what you would do in us today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said? Amen. So if you've, uh, if you've known me for very long, one of the things that you would probably know about me is I love my wife. That would seem like a no-brainer statement, Right? I love my wife dearly, love her a lot. We would have big, massive issues if I didn't love her. Agreed? Massive issues if I didn't love her. And I want you to think about this this way for a minute. If you came over to our home and you got to experience our relationship in a more up-close and personal way, um, and what you experienced was not me actually actively loving my wife, but instead you could see that there were like major issues in our relationship, what would you think? If my behavior didn't match my words in relationship with my wife, then you'd know that there was something off. You'd know there was something really unsettled in our relationship. If you could clearly see that our relationship was cold or distant or uh, full of unresolved conflict or angry words, harsh words, or, or that we just didn't even enjoy being together, right? If you could just tell that from being in the room, like, 
Man, these two people don't even agree being in the same room together. Maybe that we were afraid of each other. If you could sense or see that we were afraid of each other. Um, I think you'd begin to question the authenticity or the depth of our relationship, right? Would you agree? Every friendship and every marriage, every, every relationship has seasons of relational dynamics, ups and downs, relational dysfunction and relational health. And every, every season of relational dysfunction uh, needs to be dealt with, right? Key phrase, dealt with, not ignored. Um, the same is true in my relationship with the Lord. There are seasons where the fruit of my life, the behavior, the affections, the thoughts of my life um, prove my love for the Lord. And then there are other seasons where the fruit of my life, the, the thoughts, the behaviors, the affections of my life proves that my love for the Lord has gone cold or it's lacking. The important thing to remember, I think, as we see those seasons of our life is that when, when my behavior doesn't match the words that come out of my mouth, then it's a strong indicator that there's something really unsettled deep down inside of me. And we know that relationships ebb and flow, um, but when a relationship is just plain stuck in, in this unhealthy, like, dysfunctional cycle, over and over, same sinful dysfunctional cycle over and over and over again, when you see that happening in a relationship, you can rest assured that there's something unsettled deep down inside of someone. When our lives are in a rut, when we're stunted in our growth, when we're stuck in a cycle where, where growth uh, seems to be minimal at best or maybe even headed in like an unhealthy direction, backwards instead of forwards. In those moments, you can clearly see that your behavior doesn't match your words and there's something unsettled deep down inside of you that needs to get settled. So what do you do in those moments? What should you do? Ignore? Medicate? These are things that we often do, right? Hide, pretend. I think that the scriptures teach us that we need to pray. Uh, that, that's, that's really where we're going to head in our, in our text today as we look at it. We need to pray. We need to pray for power, right? I pray for the power to change and the, the power to grow up and the, the power to endure the pain and the hardship and the suffering of growth. We need to pray for the power to persevere or the, the power to climb the mountain of relationship with Jesus. We need to pray for that kind of power. And that's exactly what I think the Apostle Paul is praying for in our passage today. Look at Ephesians 3. Verses 14 through 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think 
according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. All God's people said, amen. As we've studied these verses over the last few weeks, uh, we've learned uh, the first week as we looked at verses 14 and 15, we, we learned that our posture in prayer is rooted in the reasons we pray and the person we pray to. And then last week, we learned that our power in prayer comes from the riches of God's glory. It is granted to us by God. It comes to us through God's spirit, and then it comes out of us from the spirit within us in a manifestation of the fruit of the spirit in our lives. In these verses, what Paul is doing is he's praying earnestly, right? He's praying passionately for the Ephesian believers. He's, he's on his knees, which is, um, is, is something that is unorthodox for a man in, in his position. They would normally pray standing. You, you see this when you see pictures of, of, the, of the Jewish people praying in front of the wailing wall, standing, nodding their heads, I think, or moving back and forth. Um, so the, the kneeled posture um, was a little more unorthodox. He's kneeled. He's in a surrendered posture before the Lord, like he's on his face before the Lord. And he's, he's praying in light of who he knows the Ephesian believers are in Christ. And he's praying to the father of every family and every, uh, every family from, uh, from, from, from heaven and, and on earth, right? The father of heaven and earth, every family. He's praying to that father. He's asking that father to reach into his vast riches of never-ending wealth. He's asking that father to freely grant power to the believers in Ephesus through the Holy Spirit. He's, he's begging that father, the father of every family in heaven and on earth. I got it straight that time praying to that Father for the Spirit's power to be manifest in the lives of the Ephesian believers deep from within their inner beings, right? But ask this question, think about it for a minute. Why is Paul praying this way? Why is he praying that way? Why is Paul's pastoral heart so passionately on display and exposed in this prayer? Many commentators uh, have, have noted that this prayer from the Apostle Paul is, uh, is much like a, a, a big mountain, much like a big climb up a big mountain. It, it, it's, it's a mountain load of doctrinal truth, of biblical truth regarding who we are in Christ and regarding the, our relationship in Christ and regarding who Christ is. Christ in us and us in him. It's a mind blower. It's a mind bender the more that you contemplate and think about the vastness of the doctrine that's being taught here. So it's like climbing up a mountain. What do you think about a journey up a mountain, though? The journey up a mountain is hard, right? It's difficult. There are a lot of people that when they try to climb mountains, they turn back because it's too hard to climb. Sometimes you want to quit because it feels like the end of the journey is nowhere in sight. It's never going to come. In all honesty and all truth, there are mountains in each one of our lives this morning that we've never climbed because that journey became too much for us to bear. I don't know what you walked in with this morning. I know what I walked in with. And God knows what every one of us walked in here with. 
And the truth be told, there are mountains in our lives that we have never climbed because they are too much for us to bear, too painful, too hard, too costly. And my wife, um, Ash, wish she was in here. She'd be happy to know I'm using one of her stories. My wife, oh, she's on the phone. She can hear me. Hey, babe. Um, and my, my wife tells a story. Um, well, now that I said all that, now she can hear me. And if I get it wrong, she's going to. Anyways, she, my wife tells a story from her childhood about the time that she got lost in the mountains with her cousin. Um, they were hiking in the Rocky Mountains. They lost track of their bearings. And they got lost for like an entire day. Imagine two little kids lost in the mountains. This Rocky, this big Rocky Mountains. Um, lost for an entire day. Uh, at some point, she began to realize that they're walking around in circles. This is what happens a lot of times when you get lost and it's hard to find your bearings, you wind up walking in circles. And she, she realized that, uh, and, 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 and what she realized, she began to see some of the same mile markers, some of the same things over the same tree, same rock, right? Same squirrel poop, I don't know. The same mile markers. <laughs> and here's the thing, she not only had the self-awareness to know that she was lost, number one, and she also had the self-awareness uh, or, 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 or the awareness of her surroundings um, to know that they were stuck in this cycle, walking in circles, walking in circles around the base of that mountain. You ever been stuck in a cycle? Walk around in circles? See the same patterns in your life? Wonder, why do I keep going back there? Right? As a dog returns to its vomit. Romans. What? Why? Right? Remember one of that? And my wife, um, my wife's a smart lady. She's much smarter than me. I would have continued to walk around in circles. Um, she instinctively knew that what they needed to do is they needed to climb the mountain and get to the top of it so they could catch a clear picture of where they were and where they needed to go, right? So they would no longer be stuck in this cycle walking around circles, her cousin that she was with was really unwilling at first. I, I don't know why. Uh, my guess is he didn't want to admit that he'd been leading her in circles all this time. I'm the man, right? I'm not going to lead you in circles. I, I just, you know, that's my tendency. Um, he's unwilling, probably not, not willing to admit. Um, at some point, some point he kind of had to surrender, right? Kind of give in. Um, my wife can be persuasive. Um, but he had to surrender and take her advice. And so they made this long, hard climb up this mountain. Um, and they found that clear vision for where they were and where they needed to go. And all too often, our journey is the same way. Our journey of character growth becomes stunted or stuck because we are weak, unwilling. We lack the passion or the, or the power, the gusto, right, to complete the journey. So we wind up walking in circles around the base of the mountain, stuck in our daily patterns of sin, brokenness, weakness. We never gain the clarity or the strength of Christian character, which is exhibited in the fruit of the Spirit. We fail to, to, to attain the power that we need to climb to the top of the mountain of our relationship with Jesus. Now, even though you may have experienced a moment where you became a Christian at the foot of that mountain, right? There are many of you who still haven't experienced 
the day to day to day to day ongoing rhythm of communion, connection, life-giving connection with Jesus. You struggle with feeling insignificant or unimportant, right? Um, or, or unlovable or unwanted. You live in those places. You operate out of those places. You're shackled in those places. Deep down inside the hallways of your heart, you have subtly believed the lies of Satan that tell you that God doesn't think you're significant. He doesn't think much of you. You're not important to him. He has better things to do than to be with you. He doesn't love you. He can't even look at you. He doesn't want you anywhere close to him. He's hiding out in the back room. He's the angry dad, the absentee father. He left you to face this horrific world alone. He's the, the cheating spouse or he has somebody better to spend his time with. It's just a sprinkling of the lies we believe. Those lies will ravage your soul over and over and over again, leave a wake of disaster in their path as long as you walk in circles around the base of that mountain of relationship with Jesus rather than doing the hard work of climbing up it. This is why Paul prays that God would give us power in verse 16. He wants us to have the strength to take that journey up that mountain of relationship with Jesus in a profoundly life-giving way. That's what he wants. What we need is we need the power to transform our relationship with Jesus when we are stunted in our growth or stuck in our sin or cold and distant towards God. And the only thing that can destroy the lies that you believed deep down inside your heart is a growing relationship with Jesus. But, that's nice, Pastor. What does that look like? Right? Thanks for telling us that we all need to grow up in our relationship with Jesus. I got it. Write that down. Could you please give me something helpful? Yes, I'm going to try. I'm going to try. I'll just confess on the front. It's hard to take something that is this mountaintop and try to make sense of it. So pray that the Lord would help us to hear this in a practical way. What should we pray for? Might be a good question. What should we pray for so that we can overcome the lies we believe? What, what should we pray for while we're on that journey up the mountain of relationship with Jesus? Well, number one, number one, pray that Jesus would dwell inside you. Pray that Jesus would dwell inside you. At first glance, this truth as you hear it, and it might seem like a no-brainer, it might seem like child's play, it might seem like Christianity beginner 101, but I assure you it's not. If you've been a believer for a while, it might be easy to dismiss what we're talking about. It might feel like old news, right? Yeah, I heard that the day I said the sinner's prayer at that one camp or wherever that is. It might feel like old news. I want to push back on that and say this. Um, the good news is never old news. Good news is never old news. Especially when it comes to the truth of the gospel. In our relationship with Jesus, we need enduring truth. Truth that lasts, right? Uh, we, we don't need 
truth that are, are, are useful now and then discarded and thrown away uh, for higher truths later. It's not like there is a beginner Christianity 101 when it comes to the gospel. When Paul prays that God would give us power so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Verse 17 is where we're going to be. First half of verse 17. You guys will love that. He is expounding a doctrinal truth is what Paul says. He's expounding a doctrinal truth of a, it's, it's unexplainable depth or unexplainable height. He's not communicating something that is merely the first step at the bottom of the, of the mountain of relationship. He's expounding actually a mountain of truth, right? I'm just reiterating what I've already said in different words. He's explaining that the son of God is ready to settle down into the depths of our hearts. Think about this. Our creator, our creator is ready to settle down inside the crowning jewel of creation. He's not ready to settle down into a tree or a flower. He's ready to settle down inside of you right now where you sit. Every moment of it, he wants to settle down inside of you. When you sleep, when you work, when you eat your food, when you look at the computer, when you're watching TV, when you're with your wife or your husband or your friends or your kids, he's settling down inside of you. That should blow your mind. Blows mine. If you're a believer, uh, if you've heard the message of the gospel, if you've trusted in Christ to save you from the penalty of your sin through the work of the cross, if you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, left the tomb empty, if you believe that Jesus will return someday to take you to heaven, to live with him forever, if you believe that Christ's work at the cross has transformed you from being God's enemy at one point, and now he's transformed you and you are his child, his son, or his daughter, if you believe that Jesus has sent his spirit to live inside of you until he returns, if you believe all those things, right, then, then Christ himself, listen, he actually lives inside of you, right? That feels like if you've been walking with Jesus for 15 minutes or so, that makes sense, right? He lives inside of you. It's not that Jesus comes to visit you when you're good, okay? I fall into that trap all the time. Like, God can't be here when I'm bad, right? <laughs> He's only here when I'm good. He doesn't come uh, for, for a visit when he has extra time. He doesn't show up when he's done with his other kids, he doesn't come when he's done playing around somewhere else. He lives inside of you. And Paul, catch this, this is, this is a mind blower. I think Paul actually prays for the believers in Ephesus, right? He's praying for believers so that Christ may dwell within them through the power of the Spirit. Don't miss that. Paul is praying for believers who already have the spirit of Christ inside of them. He's praying that the spirit would empower them so that Christ would dwell within them. Now, now if the spirit already lives within them, why is Paul praying that Christ would come to dwell in them? It's not a play on words. Go back and check the Greek. This is exactly what Paul prays. 
If the Spirit of Christ is living within those believers, why is Paul praying that the Spirit of Christ would help Christ come to dwell within them? If he's already living in them, why would Paul pray that way? So this is where Martin Lloyd-Jones, told you guys last week, was commentary I was waiting to get. Won't go into the story, but I got it, and it's safe, and it's good, and it's on my desk. <sighs> this is where Martin Lloyd-Jones was super helpful to me. His work on the original meaning of the word dwell is fascinating to me, fascinating. The Greek word translating into dwell means this. It means to settle down, right? You ever see a kid that's like weakened out of control? You're like, settle down, right? That's this word dwell means. It means to settle down. In other words, Jesus may be living in you because you're a believer, but he may not have settled down into you. If you are a believer, then Christ lives within you through his spirit. But the condition of your heart may be unsettled, right? The condition of your heart proves whether or not Christ has settled down into you. Look at the behavior of your life. Out of the deep well of our heart comes the behavior and the words of our life. So look at that. You'll be able to see my heart's not settled because Christ is not settled. It lives there, but it's not settled. It's jumbled up, right? It's a hard truth to illustrate. Try thinking about it this way too. Uh, when you're living in a crowded home, it's hard to settle down and rest. Agreed? Like I got seven kids, right? so it's home for me. Shade family, you guys got a lot, seven kids too. When you're in a crowded home, it's hard to settle down and rest. And when you live there, like you can just get out and leave. Well, you can, but the same is true of our hearts. When our hearts are crowded, it's hard to have Christ settle down into us. When your heart is crowded with sin, it becomes unsettled. When your heart is crowded with ungodly desires, or when it's crowded with unbelief, or despair, or despondency, or loneliness, or boredom, or laziness, or anger, or unforgiveness, or selfishness, or pride, or bitterness, or resentment, or lust, or worry, or fear, or frustration. That's a long list, and I'm not even done. Any other things, junk drawer, the Apostle Paul's junk drawer from Galatians, right? Things like these. Anything else you can pull out of that drawer and fit in there could have crowded out your heart. The presence of Christ would be crowded, unsettled in you. Christ will still be in you, but he won't be settled in you. Caveat, if you feel like I just read your mail, remember, I know a lot of you, right? My job is to try to preach faithfully to our hearts. And yet, I also know that the Spirit of God uses a preacher's words, right? If you feel this way, if you feel unsettled in your heart, then you might be wondering what to do now. What do you do when you realize that Christ may live in you, but he's not dwelling, he's not settled down in you? What do you do when you realize that you have a crowded heart? What do you do when you are confronted with the truth that Christ isn't settled down and dwelling in you? I think the simplest answer and the simplest application is to pray. It's to pray that Christ would settle down and dwell 
in your heart. That's why Paul is praying. It's what Paul is praying. Maybe we should follow his example in that. Think about it. Jesus is standing at the door of your heart and he's knocking. Interestingly, if you go look at that passage, I believe it's in Revelations. Do you know whose hearts he's knocking on? We always have a, th- a tendency to think, well, it's an evangelistic message. He's knocking on the doors of unbelievers' hearts. No! Go look! <laughs> it's written to the churches. He's knocking on the hearts of believers. That blew my mind when I realized that. Contextually, not that Jesus doesn't knock on the door of unbelievers' hearts as well, but in that context, we have a tendency to think us versus them. Well, I'm a believer. He's not knocking on the doors of my heart. No, he is. He is. <coughs> knocking on the door of your heart. For a believer, he wants to step into the deeper spaces of your heart. And for unbelievers, he wants to step into the front room of your heart and begin that journey with you. God, God is ready to step into the deep spaces of your heart. And the question is, is, will you let him in there? Will you ask him to settle down and dwell in you? Will you seek the presence of Christ with all you've got? Will you seek the presence of Christ as much as you seek all these other things that we could possibly be seeking? Will you pray for the power to climb the mountain of relationship with Jesus? That's number one. Number two, pray that Jesus would dwell inside your heart. First word dwell, second word heart. Pray that Jesus would dwell inside your heart. Again, might seem redundant, might seem like the beginner's guide to becoming a Christian, but let me assure you this message is it's a message for every person no matter where you're at in this journey up that mountain. The simple application of this message is to pray that the Spirit of God would give you power or strength so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. But what does the Bible mean when it talks about the heart? I love hearing my children when they were young say, Daddy, I asked Jesus into my heart today. Love hearing that, right? Love those moments. What does that mean? What does it look like to pray that Jesus would dwell inside your heart? Most scholars uh, describe the heart, biblically, as the epicenter of our beings, okay? The heart is like an intersection. You ever drive through Los Angeles, Omaha, Denver, Long Beach, Dallas, Lincoln, Nebraska. Did I say that? Hastings, Nebraska. <laughs> Drive through these big cities and you find these big, massive intersections and they're scary, right? It's big, scary. I mean, cars are going every which direction and you don't know where to go and you're just like, I'm going to die. I don't know what's going to happen here. <laughs> um, the heart is just like that. Scary place to go. That's why most of us don't want to go there. Scary place because it's the epicenter of all sorts of things. It's like a major highway intersection. Three major highways travel in and out of your heart. Highways of your thinking and the highways of your uh, desires and the highway of your will. The highway of your thinking, the highway of your affections, and the highway of your actions, another way to say it. Your mind, your desires, and your will. The scriptures are very clear that when you trust in Christ, he takes away your old, dead, hardened heart of stone that was in chains, right? It gives you a brand new, soft heart of flesh that is alive and free to do what God's created you to do. When you begin a relationship with Jesus, then your heart is regenerated. 
big theological term for being made new. No longer living those old patterns. No longer, now you're in a new pattern. You're, you're thinking the one highway into your heart and out of your heart. Your thinking is transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. Your affections are changed. Why? Because you've been given brand new desires. Previously, you did not desire the things of God. Now, somewhere deep inside, you desire the things of God. Maybe not as much as you wish, right? Maybe not as much as I wish. Maybe not as much as the person next to you wishes, your husband or your spouse or your children. Maybe not as much as they, but your desires are changing. You've got some new desires inside that you didn't have before. Behaviors change. Behaviors of your life begin to change because your will is being transformed. Your got to, not your want to. Your want to is your desire. Your got to is your will. Your got to is being changed. Pretty soon you're able to say, I really want to do that still, but there's this other want inside of me that's coming up, and so I got to do that instead, not got to do this anymore. All right, make sense? I don't have time for this, but I'm gonna do it anyways. Was at the store the other day after working out? I don't know how these workout stories make into my sermons every week. <laughs> Y'all know I got an idol or something. Uh, so I went to the grocery store, went to the gas station afterwards, I'm in my stinky workout clothes. And the ladies, the ladies behind the, behind the counter, I bought this gallon of milk, so I need to make my protein drink afterwards. And the ladies behind the counter are like, hey, you want some cookies to go with that milk, don't you? You need some cookies to go with that milk. No, I'm like, no, no, I want them, but I don't need them. No, you really do. They're two for a buck. No, stop it. Stop it. I really want them. No, I don't need them. Take six. They're only three bucks. No, please. Well, what are you going to do with the milk? I'm going to drink it in my protein drink after working out. Oh, good job, they said. Leave me alone. <laughs> now, a year ago when I first started working out and I was a baby workout guy, This is a better illustration than I thought it would be. <laughs> oh, Lord, you're good. A year ago, <laughs> when I was just climbing up this mountain, <laughs> we stopped and sat down and ate me some cookies with the milk, and then <laughs> worked out twice the next day. As you travel up this mountain, eh, your, your want-tos and your got-tos start changing. Right? Your want-to is your desire, your got-to is your will. <laughs> What does it mean to ask Jesus to come and dwell inside your heart then? What does it mean to ask Christ to settle down inside your crowded heart? If your heart is made up of your thoughts, your affections, and your actions, your mind, your desire, and your will, then I think what you and I need to do is invite Jesus into those crowded spaces of our hearts. We need to ask him to settle down and dwell there. Come, come and live in my thoughts. Don't just live, but settle down there. Come and settle down in the behaviors of my life. Come and settle down in the desires of my heart. This is a hard road to travel. You start messing around with your unhealthy desires deep down inside, and it's not going to be fun. Following Jesus is not all rainbows and unicorns, as my friend Eric likes to say. Um, it's hard work. It's a hard journey. So when you, if, you, if you go here, you're going to need supernatural power to get into it and to walk through it, travel down those highways. Your thinking is crowded with thoughts of anger, selfishness, pride, worry, loneliness, lust. 
You need to invite Jesus into those thoughts and ask him to change those thoughts as he settles down and dwells there. Don't just do the quick prayer. Jesus, please change my life today. Amen, man, that was boring. I don't even know why I pray, right? Actually stop and settle down. Start confessing where you're at. Ask him to step into those and settle into those with you. Spend that time relationally with him. Your affections, your desires, bust at the seams with desire for self-promotion or self-preservation, self-protection. You need to invite Jesus into those desires. Ask him to change those desires as he settles down and dwells there. Your behavior, if your behavior is an issue, if it's full of sexual or financial or relational or vocational sin, you, you need to invite Jesus into those behaviors and ask him to change those behaviors as he settles down and dwells there. Can you imagine what it's like to have Jesus settle down in your thoughts, your desires, and your behavior? Can you imagine that he actually already lives there? He already lives there. What would it look like for you to ask him to settle down there And number three, pray that Jesus would dwell inside your heart through faith. Now, the topic of faith can be a real touchy one, okay? On one side, we have teachers and preachers that have relegated the subject of faith way down to some kind of powerful force that we can tap into, right? The power of our words, our faith-filled words. We tap into those faith-filled words to get whatever our hearts desire. Man, you want it, you got it. Just speak those words of faith and God will give it to you. <coughs> God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, right? That's his will for you, so pray in his will, and he'll give that to you. Yeah, okay. What happens to Job? All you gotta do is give the right amount of money, say the right prayers, name and claim what's rightfully yours, you'll be blessed. Other side of that, the spectrum, I think, pendulum swing, there's probably many, but just two that I'm picking on today. We have these pie-in-the-sky cultural relativists, right? It's all relative to wherever you're at. Truth's your own truth. It's funny. You made that as a true statement. Whatever. <laughs> Relegate faith down to some deeply held personal belief system that's uniquely shaped by every individual, like depending on their personal experience, their personal upbringing, their personal cultural context. And it doesn't matter if your truth is different than theirs. It's, truth is relative, okay? Um, same thing with faith. I got my faith, you got yours. I believe in the doorknob. You believe in this guy named Jesus. I believe in Buddha. Whatever, we can all exist in the same place. No, you can't because the doorknob's not even alive. Oh, by the way, neither are any of the rest of them. I'll get back on track now. The problem, <laughs> the problem for us is that every one of us has been affected by these major influences because we, we do live in this world. But one of the things that we love to do is we love to pray for what we want. We like to pray for what we want. God, please give me that. Rather than, God, you know what? Help me endure not having that. See? We'd rather pray for what we want. <clears throat> we love to make the rules. Furthermore, both of those systems of thought kind of place you and I, what we think, what we want, what we believe, what we think we are entitled to at the very center of our faith. This is why biblical teaching is so very important. Biblical teaching regarding faith never places us our personal desires, our personal abilities, our personal experiences at the center of the message. The center of the message of biblical faith in the scriptures is Christ. But Christ is the center of our faith. He, he's the one who writes the pages of our faith. He's the one who gives us the gift of our faith. He is the object of our faith. 
This is why Paul prays that the Spirit would give us power so that Christ may dwell in your hearts, in all those highways, through what? Faith. But what is faith? What is biblical faith? How do you get the kind of faith that invites Christ to settle down or dwell in your hearts? Move as quickly as I can. Get us out of here. When the word faith is used in the scriptures, it means two things, to believe and trust, okay? To believe and trust. as the root meanings of the word faith. Believe and trust. If you take away belief, then you have no real faith. If you take away trust, you have no real faith. Belief and trust are the twin tracks that the engine of your faith rides on. Take away or damage one of those tracks and the engine of your faith will crash and burn, right? Take away biblical belief, your faith will be weak. Take away biblical trust, your faith will be stunted in its growth. You need to seek biblical belief, biblical trust, so that your faith will grow into a robust, mature faith that stands the test of time without shipwrecking on the rocks of sin and suffering. You might remember the story of the man walking on the tightrope high above Niagara Falls. You might remember that story. You're in the crowd, all right? You're watching him in person as he walks across that tightrope. Not once, not twice, multiple times, many times, over and over and over and over again. He walks across this tightrope, across Niagara Falls. If I remember right, this is a true story. Each time he walks across, he does something new that you never believed someone could do. Never believed it. He walks across on foot. That's pretty big. Then he walks across on stilts. That's insane. Then he walks across blindfolded. That's stupid. (laughs) I'm probably using words I shouldn't be using. (laughs) Teaching kids things. Sorry. (laughs) Then he walks across with a camp stove in his hands, makes a three-course meal. Actually did this, if I understand correctly. Then he grabs a wheelbarrow, right? Puts another person in it, pushes them across safely, and then he gets to your side of Niagara Falls, the wheelbarrow, walks up to you and says, hey, do you believe I just did those things? Yes, I believe you did. I watched with my own two eyes. Great, now will you trust me by getting in the wheelbarrow? Heck no, I won't. (laughs) (laughs) Out of here. That's the difference between believing and trusting. Many of you, I at times, struggle with this. We struggle to believe, listen, we struggle to believe that Jesus would keep us safe inside the wheelbarrow. We just don't think Jesus is a safe God. He's anything but safe. But the Bible debunks that. The Bible says faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ, Romans 10, 17. Also says that by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. Ephesians 2.8, get in that wheelbarrow. The Bible also says that faith is the assurance, I love this, is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Hebrews 11.1. 1. The Bible also says that we are to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. That sounds like a hard job, doesn't it? The race that is set before us. Weight and sin holds us back from running that race up that mountain. Run the race that is set before us. Doing what? Looking to Jesus, the author, the founder, the perfecter. 
He's the one who makes my faith perfect, not me. Oh, thank God, because I would ruin my faith. He writes it, and he perfects it, and he makes it better. So who should I look to for faith? Christ. That's Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. The Bible also says that the Spirit will give us power so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Ephesians 3, 17, what we've been studying today. Where have you personally witnessed, seen the work of Christ on your behalf? Where have you seen him pushing that wheelbarrow across? Where have you seen him do impossible things in your life? Well, what reason do you have to stop believing now with whatever mountain you're facing this morning? Why would he not continue to act towards you in the same way? Where have you trusted him in your life? Why would you stop trusting him now? Pray, pray that Jesus would dwell inside your heart through faith. Pray that Christ would settle down into your ability to believe and to trust him. The final story as I wrap this up. I was reminded this week, um, I give credit where credit is due because Christy reminded me of this, my wife. I was reminded this week of how fun it was to have a German ministry intern stay with our family for a year. Many of you knew him. We called him Herman the German Shepherd because he was gifted as a pastor and he was German. You get it. <laughs> Herman, Herman the German Shepherd. He was awesome. He stayed with us for a year. Uh, we loved it. One of the things that we most enjoyed about having Herman with us for that year was teaching him how to speak English. To, he didn't know a single word of English. My wife and a friend uh, drove to get him from the airport in uh, Omaha, when he came in, and he called me on the phone, and uh, I, I heard language I'd never heard. I don't know German or Russian. I don't know what he was speaking, but um, I'd never heard it. I had no clue what he was saying. He gave the phone to some passerby. I was like, ooh, ooh, <laughs> so I don't know. However we did it, he was looking for Christy, and um, he didn't know a, a single word, really, um, of English. Um, we worked hard to teach. He worked hard to learn. We also learned a lot in the midst of that. It was quite a mountaintop experience. It was quite a journey up that mountain. It was hard. We was learning something new. It was kind of like unlocking new levels of relationship with each other. Can you imagine what our relationship would have looked like if he was unwilling to settle down and learn that new language? If he was uninterested in doing the hard work? If he was too preoccupied with watching YouTube videos or working out at the gym? Like if he had done all of that, right? Just didn't really want to learn the language. They want to take that hard journey while still saying, communicating with his words, he wanted to be a ministry intern. And we flip this around, right? I want to be a Christian. I am a Christian, but I want to take that journey up that mountain of getting to know Jesus. Like, I got him living inside of me. Why don't I need anything more? He began to wonder, does this guy really want to do this? Right? Began to wonder what was going on deep down inside of Herman the German Shepherd's heart. Same way in our relationship with Jesus, right? At first, you barely understand this new language of relationship with him. It takes a lot of hard work on your part to learn the language. Jesus is always ready and willing to do the work of teaching you through the power of the Spirit. Sad reality, though, is that some of you who profess to be Christians with your words haven't got past learning those first words of faith. You've gotten stuck walking around in circles, the base of the mountain, because you don't want to do or you don't know how to do the hard work of learning that new language of relationship with Jesus. You've been stuck, struggling with these feelings of insignificance, struggling with these feelings of unimportance, thinking that you're unlovable, thinking that you're unwanted, 
Deep inside the hallways of your heart, you've subtly believed these lies that Satan has told you about God. And I want to proclaim something into that before I wrap it up. The cross of Christ destroys the lies of the evil one. When Jesus hung on that cross that day, when they beat his back bloody with that whip, when they put that crown of thorns on his head, when they stripped his body naked and mocked him, when they beat him with rods, when they nailed his hands to that cross, when they nailed his feet to that cross, when they lifted that cross into that hole and dropped it in, when they, when they came to stab him in the side with that spear, when Jesus suffered this way, when he was left alone, faced loneliness at a level that you and I could never fathom, when all of the sins of humanity were dropped on top of him, when the wrath of the Father of Heaven was unleashed on him, when for a moment in time there was a separation somehow in an eternally unified Godhead, he destroyed the lies of the evil one. The cross of Christ proves your significance. It proves that God was thinking about you since before the creation of the world. It proves that you are important to him, eternally important to him. There is nothing that he would not spend to be with you. The cross of Christ proves that being with you is the thing that God wants to do. The cross of Christ proves that he loves you unconditionally beyond your wildest dreams. He's not hiding in his throne room from you. He isn't the angry dad. He isn't the absentee father who left you to face this horrific world alone. The cross of Christ proves that he is not the cheating spouse who has someone better to spend his time with. He came for you. That's the Jesus that wants to settle down deep inside the intersection of your heart. Will you get in that wheelbarrow and take that journey up that mountain? I pray that you do. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for Jesus at the cross. But Father, I pray that you would help us don't know where each and every person is in this room, but I know there's mountains in front of each of us that you've revealed to each of us. Your spirit is powerful and does that. Help us not to shy away, turn away, run away from that mountain. Father, give each of us the strength to trust you, to believe you. Pray, Father, that your spirit would come and just unleash his presence deep down, settled inside of our hearts, and uncrowd those spaces so that you can settle there inside of us. Lord, we love you. We ask these in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.